Bible with you, if you would like to turn to the book of Judges. Chapter 17. And verse 6. It says, in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. And just in case you were in any doubt, that's not actually saying it was a good thing. Um, It was saying, actually, this was a dark time in Israel's history. um, And people were just all over the place. People were just kind of living their own lives, doing their own thing, everyone pleasing themselves, doing their own thing. If you turn to Proverbs, chapter 29, Proverbs 29 and verse 18, it says this, where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. But blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. Some of you may have in your translation, where there is no vision, the people perish. The people cast off restraint. Everyone goes off and does their own thing. Everyone does as they see fit. Where there isn't a vision, where we don't see something together, where we're not united in what we've seen and what we've had revealed to us, then we just... There's no reason not just to go and do whatever seems best to us as individuals. And Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. This was about as much as I could manage for an illustration um, this morning. Um, Just in case you're in any doubt what that oil going down the beard is all about, um, this was a symbol of the anointing, of God's anointing. When oil was poured upon someone who was being called to serve God in the power of his spirit, oil would be poured all over them and it would run all down all over them and it would go, you know, they had beards a lot then, and it would go all through the beard and all down their clothes and all down to their feet and they'd be drenched in this oil and it was the sign and the symbol that God had chosen this person and called them and appointed them and empowered them to be what he was calling them to be. And so the scripture is telling us that when we live together in unity, it is like the anointing of God. That's amazing, isn't it? When we live together in unity, because we think um, it's nice, unity is nice because it's nicer than arguing, isn't it? Um, so it's kind of you know, great if we can get along, but come on, we always disagree, don't we? And, but no, no, the scripture is saying unity is like the anointing. Do we want the anointing of God? Do we want to be an anointed people? Do we value the anointing? Do we think that's effective? Do we think that's powerful? And God says to us, unity, living together in unity, being united as the people of God is like the anointing of God itself. 
It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. That's a symbol of God's blessing. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. The blessings of eternal life being linked for us here with God's people living together in unity. So unity is pretty powerful. One of the biggest challenges we face, particularly in the Western church, is individualism. Because it's so strong in our culture. It's, it's all around us. It's the power of the individual. And of course, there are many positive things about understanding that God relates to us as an individual. Of course, it's true that God loves you personally. You're not just a number, you're a name. He knows you by name. He knows you as an individual. He died for you personally. He died for you as an individual. And all of this is true. But the challenge we have, particularly in Western culture, is that our society overemphasizes that truth. And so we lose a sense of the corporate and the family. And so some of you are more familiar um, more recently with a culture that emphasizes community, that emphasizes it takes a village to raise a child. Um, but actually, in Western culture, it's back off village. This is my child. This is my family. We've closed the door now. This is our time. And so we have this sense of individualism. When we study the nature of the church in the Bible, we realize that we are called to be a people and not just a collection of individuals. Because all being in the same place at the same time does not make us a community. All being sat here at the same time on a Sunday doesn't for one moment suddenly turn us into a community because we can all be just sat here as a collection of individuals who happen to have agreed to come to the same place at the same time. But we are a people called into covenant together with God. So when you study the Bible, the only way you can relate to God is through covenant. Yeah? That's the only, a covenant is a binding agreement that has all the authority, if you like, of law, but it's motivated by passionate, heartfelt love. It's an incredible concept that God reveals to us in the Bible. And the only way that we can come to God is through the blood of Jesus in the new covenant. The new covenant, the, the way that God has opened us opened up for us to relate to him through Jesus. But the thing is, that's the only way I can come to him, and it's the only way that you can come to him. And what God doesn't do is issue lots of separate covenants. So he hasn't got like a stack of covenants on his shelf. Oh, Roger's decided to give his life to Jesus. Go and get another covenant. We'll sign this together, just between me and you. Great, Zeta's given her life to Jesus. Go and get another covenant. Let's enter into a covenant together. Elvis has given his life to Jesus. Off we go and get another. He's got one covenant. It's got a lot of space for a lot of names. 
And every single one of us gets to sign the same covenant. We're in one covenant together with him. That's why, I mean, I know once we get this many people, it becomes hard to find a loaf big enough. So we end up with multiple loaves. And we, and we lose a little bit of the significance of that verse in Scripture that says, though we are many, we are one body because we all share in the same loaf. And we mess it up a bit because we end up with more than one loaf. But the symbolism is really powerful because the loaf, of course, represents Jesus and there is only one Jesus, one Lord, one Jesus who gave his body and we all partake of the same body and therefore we are one body together in him. So while it is true that Jesus died for you, he didn't die for you so that you could relate to him in isolation. Because the scripture says that he gave himself up for his church. He gave himself up for his church. So yes, it's true that he gave his life for you. But if that's all you have, then you've only got part of the truth. And it's a distortion of the truth. Because he didn't die so that you could relate to him as an individual only but he died for his church. It's just that he wants you as an individual to be part of his bride, his body, his people. Let's look at that together in Ephesians chapter five. Ephesians five from verse 25 says, "'Husbands, love your wives, "'just as Christ loved the church "'and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Christ gave himself up for the people of God, the new covenant people, the people belonging to himself. And we need to understand that our destinies are bound up together. Your destiny and my destiny, we can't get away from it. We might go to the other side of the world and we, we might not interact with one another in daily life, but nevertheless, our destiny is still entwined because our destiny is to be part of the one people of God. The one people of God made up of all Christians everywhere on the face of the planet. And those who have already gone ahead of us and, and died in Jesus. The one universal church. The Bible uses the analogy of running a race. Well, what use is it if you run your race and you get to the finish line and you're like, yes, I've made it. And you turn around and you realize there, miles behind you, is Richard still limping along. Well, bully for you, you finished. But you can't have the celebration until I make it too. Because the end will not come until he has brought together all things and his bride has made herself ready. So you can turn around and say, I've got everything sorted in my life. 
But if the rest of the church are struggling, then what advantage is it to you? Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 from verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. They were one in heart and mind. Do you know, some of us, we read the pages of the book of Acts and we long for that sense of adventure. We long for that sense of excitement of the gospel going forth and people believing that Jesus is real, that he's risen from the dead that he has real power at work in the world today to touch and transform lives. And we long for that sense of adventure. We long to see the church growing and expanding. We long to see people giving their lives to Jesus in their multitudes. We long to see society touched and transformed. We don't want just a mundane life. We don't want it just to be ordinary, just almost like everybody else, except for we go to church on Sunday. We want to recover that sense of reality, that sense of adventure, that sense of excitement that God is moving in our world by his spirit through his people. We long for that. They were one in heart and mind. And they were committed to that together. And they weren't perfect. We have so much in the letters that Paul and others wrote to the churches that confirms for us they had their problems just like us. They had their challenges just like us. They had times when they became selfish and focused on themselves just like us. They have times when they, they were growing weary and they were tempted to give up just like us. But the encouragement of Scripture again and again and again is keep going. And keep believing and keep holding on to what God has said and do this together. Hold on to this together. Romans 15. Romans 15, verse 5. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement. Now that's always a little bit of a clue. The God who gives endurance and encouragement. Is that just by the by? Or maybe for what he's about to say, you're going to need endurance and encouragement. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. So that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that with one mind and one voice. Do you know what? I've 
been doing this and with the rest of the team, we've been doing this together in leadership for long enough to know that we can't make anything happen. All we can do is bring God's word before his people and seek to encourage and empower and create opportunities and steward what we have together. But we can't make it happen. It has to be us. It has to be us deciding together that we are going to take hold of God's word together. We're going to stand on that word together and we're going to pursue that word together. It's up to us whether we're going to do this or not. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 from verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. One in heart and mind, deciding that we will pursue this together and that it matters to us whether the community of God's people lay hold of what he is calling them to or not. So, just in the little bit of time I've got left, I just want to take some time to go over some of those things again that we've said that we will give ourselves to pursuing together. And really, I just believe that God is creating another opportunity for us today to make a decision. To make a decision, to have the opportunity to positively choose. Not to be lectured, not to be told that you have to do something but to be given the space to make up your own mind, to say that I'm going to be one in heart and mind, and I'm going to pursue these things together with my brothers and sisters in the church, and they're going to matter to me, and I'm going to pursue them. And if I don't understand them, then I'm going to give myself to understanding them, and I'm going to ask, and I'm going to get alongside other people, and I'm going to get involved in Connect, or I'm going to get involved in, in Beta Course, or, or I'm going to get with other people and, and study this, and I'm, I'm going to come alongside brothers and sisters, and if I'm struggling to make relationships, then I'm going to ask for help with that. But I'm going to give myself, because I don't want to just drift through life coming to church. Because I don't want to just have a mundane, ordinary life that happened to have church attendance on Sundays added in, but I actually want to believe that we can see a difference and make a difference in our world. So we talk about loved lovers loving others, and I just want to break each of those down for us. The things that we've said that we will pursue and value together and give you the opportunity to say, yes, I'm going to pursue and value that too. Firstly then, as part of that word loved, because we've said everything begins with knowing that we are loved. And so first of all, we want to know the unconditional love and acceptance of God as Father. 
We want to work at that. We want to pursue that together. We want to believe and own the truth that everything starts with the love of God. That this is not about us trying to earn something or prove something. That everything started with him and his goodness. That everything revolves around him. That he is not someone that we have invented to help us to get through life. But in the beginning was God. And God is love. I only love him because he first loved me. And we believe that God wants us to know that love. We believe as a community, we're owning as a core value that God wants everyone to know and experience and be free in that love. And that means we want to give ourselves to moving beyond some of those things, some of those issues, some of those difficult things that some of us maybe still have to work through from our past. It's wonderful, wasn't it, to hear the testimony this morning, being set free from abuse of the past. We want to help every single one of us to do that, to find that place of freedom, to knowing I am loved by God, because we believe a community full of people that know that they are loved by God looks different. We believe it's the most secure and, uh, and wonderfully free place that anyone could ever live their life to know that they are loved and accepted unconditionally. And we want that to be a core value. And that means I have to say I'm going to pursue that. I'm going to pursue that. I'm going to, I'm going to go after that. I'm going to value experiencing and knowing God's love. And I'm going to pursue that for other people around me as well. And I'm not just going to see it as, oh, here they go again about, you know, it's the experiential people. No, that means we're all owning this. That means as an entire community, we're saying, we will be about this. That all of us might be rooted and established, as Paul prayed, in the love of God. Secondly, being loved is about knowing that Jesus restores me and sends me as a co-heir in the kingdom of God. Because the gospel, you see, is all about us being restored as sons and daughters. It's all about realizing that Jesus died and shed his blood so that I could be forgiven for my rejection of God as my father. I'd rejected him as my father. I was living outside of that. And Jesus shed his blood to pay the price for my rejection of that relationship so that I could be restored into that relationship. But that relationship implies a purpose because Jesus is all about the rule and reign of God being established in the earth exactly as God intended it from the beginning. So when Jesus pays the price and sheds his blood to restore me into relationship with God, then there's suddenly a new purpose and meaning to my life. That it's not just so that I can escape hell, but it's so that I can bring heaven into our world. So that I can be part of the plan and purpose of God. And this is all because he loves me. This is all because he loves me as his son. He loves you as his daughter. And he restores you and he says, have your inheritance back. Be part of what I'm doing in the world. And we want to be that people 
that are so excited about mission, not because we feel guilty, not because we're under some kind of compulsion, not because we feel we have to earn God's approval and acceptance, but because we already have it. Because we already have his love and his favor and his unconditional acceptance. And we're so excited because we know that him loving me means there's a purpose to my life. There's an inheritance that he's brought me into. It means believing that Jesus has risen from the dead and defeated all the power of the enemy. And we will give ourselves to understanding and believing the truth together. To understanding what the scripture teaches us. Because Jesus is the word of God. We will value the Bible together. And understanding what it teaches us about our identity and about God's kingdom. And we will give ourselves to pursuing that together. Being loved also means knowing that the Holy Spirit transforms me and empowers me because God does not remain distant and far off, but God comes and lives within me. Because Jesus didn't only die and rise again, but he ascended into heaven. And having promised that he will come back and bring all of this to completion, he pours out the Holy Spirit to change you, to transform you, to empower you, and to enable you. And so we want to know the grace of Jesus in transforming us and restoring us as sons and daughters. We want to know the love of God the Father, and we want to know the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, living our lives in communion with him. We want to give ourselves to this. Because we're loved. Second one then, lovers. We want to be passionate lovers of God. And that means we want to value times of worship and encounter together. We want to value those times. We want to turn up on time for those times because we value those times. We want to come ready for those times as much as we are able. Of course, we all have times when we're not feeling so great, when things just went wrong, when you know, all the traffic lights were against you, or the kids were playing up, or the, you know, things have just been really hard and you're feeling low. Of course, we're not saying stay away on those occasions. We're saying come and find grace. Come and find acceptance. Come and find people who are ready to cheer you on. But if there's going to be some people ready to cheer them on, then at least some of us have got to say we're going to come ready. So that when I've got my difficult time, well, maybe you'll be ready to encourage me. But let's come. Let's stir ourselves. Let's come not wondering what will they do to me in the meeting today. But let's come having prayed Let's come having sought God. Let's come expectant. Let's come believing. God, you're going to come and meet with your people today. Lord, I'm praying that there'll be a, a release of the supernatural today. I'm praying that there would be miracles in our midst today. I'm praying that people will find you. I'm praying that people will get saved. I wonder how many of us prayed this morning that people would get saved in this meeting today. But if we value these times together if we value times of worship and encounter 
And not just so that we can have the experience, but just so that God could be worshipped. You know, before anything else, the measure of a great worship time is not what did you feel. The measure of a great worship time is did we worship God? Not did you shake or sway or cry or dance, but did we worship God in a way that brought pleasure to him? We want to value that together. But equally knowing that his presence does change everything. And he's present with us all the time, but in his grace, he manifests his presence and enables us to experience it and encounter it and be changed by it. And we want to say, as a community, we'll go after that. That means we have to choose to pursue it. Because I don't know if you've noticed, but we can have the same worship leader on this platform from one week to the next with the same band and do all the same things. And one week, it's just like, wow, we're going for it. And the next week, it probably feels to them a little bit like stirring mud. Because sometimes we're just up for it as the people of God, and we're like, we're with you. We're going after this. And other times, it just feels like, I don't know, maybe just we're all in different places, and we're all just kind of like, what do you think you're doing? It makes a difference what we decide, how we decide to engage and pursue this together. Being lovers means that we passionately pursue holiness. This is a core value for us because worship and holiness are inextricably linked in the scripture. If you look at the the job of the priests under the old covenant, it was all about enabling God's presence amongst his people. So again and again, it's so that I can dwell with you, so that I can be with you, so that I can be in the midst of my people. And everything that they did around this tabernacle and then later a temple was to do with either worship or holiness. Because worship and holiness go together. In fact, in Romans 12 verse 1, we're told that us living holy lives is our true and proper worship. And holiness, by the way, is a reward, not a price we have to pay. Sometimes we think of holiness as you've got to do the time so that you can get into heaven. So um, do a bit of holiness, do your best job, be as holy as you can be. And if you hit the grade, then God might be happy with you. No, holiness isn't the price you have to pay to earn something. Holiness is God's blessing on your life. Holiness is God saying, I know that you can't do this in your own strength. So Jesus came and he died and he shed his blood to take away your sin. And he poured out the Holy Spirit to transform you, to sanctify you, to enable you to live a holy life. Holiness is God's gift to you, not some suffering that he calls you to go through. We want to passionately pursue holiness together because we love God. We are lovers of God. We will give ourselves to him, and therefore we will give ourselves to pursuing holiness. Now remember, I'm saying this is about us being one in heart and mind. So this is about us saying, not, well, do you know what? I'll just get on with my life. I'll come and I'll get the message on Sunday. I'll see how it applies to my life, and then I'll go off and I'll live my life separately. 
This is about saying, I want us to be a holy community. I own this value. Therefore, I'm going to get with people in Connect, or I'm going to get with people in, in whatever other setting. I'm going to get with a group of people that are praying together. I'm going to come along to the prayer meeting or whatever it is. I'm going to get with people around me and I'm going to say, how can we pursue holiness together? I'm going to pray for you. I can see that you're struggling. I can see that you're having a tough time. And instead of sitting three chairs down from you in the row and trying to keep my distance a bit and maybe feeling a little bit superior and judgmental towards you because I can see what a mess you're making of your life, I'm going to come alongside you. I'm going to help you because I know that my destiny is wrapped up with your destiny because I know that his call is upon us as a church and not just on me as an individual. And I know that I am my brother's keeper. I am my sister's keeper. And how you're doing is my problem. And not in a way that judges or condemns or tries to control people or any of that stuff, but in a way that says, I'm here to support you. I'm here to cheer you on. And I care how you're doing. Being lovers means that we develop and express generosity in all kinds of ways. And I'm not just talking about the offering baskets, but I am talking about the offering baskets as well as every area of life. In my time, it's hard sometimes, isn't it? It's hard, particularly um, for, for, for us Brits, um, because it's countercultural. Um, the whole, you know, someone comes along and they want something of us, and it's like, oh, it's just family time at the moment, or it's, you know, and, and we find that hard. But generosity of spirit says, I will give freely. Whether it's with our time, whether it's with our finances, it's saying, Do you know what? I can't hold back for myself. It's not wrong to enjoy the blessing of God in your life. Yeah? There's a tension that we have to find, a balance that we have to maintain. It's not saying that you can never enjoy any blessing that God wants to pour out in your life. But it is saying, I can't stand by and watch you be without while smugly thinking, great, at least I've got everything I need. And it means that I can't stand by and see that there is a need, there's something that God is calling us to together as a community, but I've got to prioritize my own life first. I've got to prioritize my own needs first because when we live with one mind and one heart and one vision, we say, this is what we're in together. This is what God has called us to together. And of course, all of us have to work out where that sits. Yeah, this is not about anyone saying this, you've got to give X amount or Y amount. This is about all of us coming before God and saying, God, help me to be generous. Help me to express your heart. Because being a lover of God is about becoming like him. And God is generous. And God loves a cheerful giver. Of course he loves everyone. I don't know why it says he loves a cheerful giver when he loves everyone. But all I, can, all I can kind of, he loves everyone. And he loves a cheerful giver. And don't ask me if he loves a cheerful giver more than you. I, I just don't understand it. But all I know is that he loves a cheerful giver. And so I want to be a cheerful giver. I want to be generous in spirit. I want to be generous in heart. I want you to experience the generosity of God in me. Because I want us to be a generous people because it's part of our worship. 
It's part of our honoring of God. And again, the Bible makes that clear for us. Generosity is part of loving him. Finally, loving others. It's about living life together as the community of God's people. It's about the world knowing that we are his disciples by our love for one another. It's about everything I've talked about, living together with one heart and mind and purpose, reflecting the community that's in God himself. It's about unity both within the local church and across the wider church. It's about saying we are the people of God and we love our brothers and sisters because the Bible tells us that we cannot claim to love God. It's a really serious, heavy word, isn't it? You cannot claim to love God if you do not love your brother and sister. It's about proclaiming the gospel with signs and wonders following. It's about saying, we believe that Jesus has sent us into the world the same way that he was sent, which is to proclaim the gospel. We're saying we are a gospel people. We will be all about the gospel. Our lives have been transformed by the gospel. The reason we're here is because of the gospel. We could be loved lovers in heaven, but to love others, he sent us into the world. So love lovers, great, we'll just go and be with him now. But no, Jesus sends you into the world. Why? To proclaim the good news that they are loved. That they can become lovers of God and love others with us. We have received word over the life of this community that we will see net-breaking, boat-sinking fruitfulness. That we will be a center of healing. That means saying we will own that and we will pursue that together And we won't glaze over when we hear Sumbo get up and say, God said to us, we are a center of healing. Oh, here they go again. Or when we hear love lovers loving others. Or when we hear net breaking, boat sinking, fruit and fullness. But we'll say, yes, this is the prophetic word of God over our lives together. So that when someone says to you, are you carrying a word over your life? You don't go, "Um, no, I don't think so. Because every single one of us in this room can say, yes. I'm carrying a word of God over my life. God has told me that I am a center of healing. God has told me that along with our church, we will see net breaking, boat sinking, fruitfulness. God has told us that worship will be a key part of how he draws people to himself in this church community. And loving others, finally, means transforming society from within and without. Yeast that works its way through the whole batch of dough and completely transforms it. To use one analogy that Jesus used in Matthew 13, the kingdom of God, it's like yeast, it works its way through. You can't see the yeast, you don't know where it is, but it's doing its job and it's making an incredible difference. That you would know that when you go into your workplace, your neighborhood, your community, that you are King's Church. That you are the church of Jesus Christ. And that you're here to transform the world around you because you love lost people. And you want them to know the truth that God rules and reigns and has the power to transform our world. And you engage in what we do together as a church. Like that mustard seed that grows into a mustard tree, the largest of garden plants. It's tall and it's proud and people can see it and the birds come and find shelter in its branches. So you're working your way through society like the yeast, but you're also pulling together and say, we will do something tangible and visible together to make a difference. Because you're compelled by the love of Christ. Because you're driven by the love of God. So there it is. 
three key things broken down for us. And I'm just asking us the question, will we own these things? Will we go after these things? Will we pray into these things? Will we get around other people and commit ourselves? Will we be one in heart and mind? Say, God, I will not settle for just turning up at church. And I may have been doing this for years now, but I will not grow weary of doing good. For at the proper time, I will reap a harvest if I do not give up. Amen.